Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously, organic. Discover a different kind of dark. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast, everyone. And we hope you enjoyed Nulagnaman, which uh, happened yesterday. And that's the day when women traditionally are able to put their feet up after Christmas and relax. I know this is a bit different now. And a lot of uh, the men in everyone's houses are doing a lot more than maybe in the past. But it's still a nice day to celebrate women. And I hope you did that whatever way you could. And I just want to quickly remind you before we get into our first book club of the year about Winter Nights. It's our Irish Times online festival that runs from Monday, January 25th to Friday, January 29th. We've got a few events each night and some names I really think you're going to enjoy hearing from, including Professor Luke O'Neill, comedian Dara O'Brien, Holocaust survivor and author of The Choice, Edith Eager, and Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. Tickets are available from irishtimes.com forward slash winter nights. That's irishtimes.com forward slash winter nights. So do check it out. We'd love to see you there. Well, we hope you're in fine form and as I said, relaxed and ready for our first book club of 2021. It is a good one. You might have heard of this book or indeed maybe you've read it along with us. It's called Untamed and it's by an American woman called Glennon Doyle. As usual, the book divided the book gathering of my mother, Anne Ingle, Irish Times journalists Bernice Harrison and Neve Towie and myself. But I think you really will enjoy this. It's a bit of crack. I began, as usual, by reading the blurb of the book Untamed, by Glennon Doyle. Who were you before the world told you who to be? For many years, New York Times best-selling author Glennon Doyle denied her discontent. Then one day at a conference, she glanced up at a woman and three words flooded her mind. There she is. At first, Glennon assumed these words came from on high, but soon she realised they had come from within. This was the voice she had buried beneath decades of numbing addictions and social conditioning. Glennon decided to let go of the world's expectations of her and reclaim her true untamed self. Forceful and tender, Untamed is both an intimate memoir and a galvanising wake-up call about what is possible when we step out of our cages and say, here I am. And before I come to you, Anne Ingle, I'll just mention a quote from the amazing, wonderful singer Adele, which is also on the back of this book. And she says, this book will shake your brain and make your soul scream. I am so ready for myself after reading this book. Anne Ingle, are you ready for yourself after reading this book? <laughs> I think it's a bit late to be ready for myself you now. You are 81, I suppose. You're changed? not ready for yourself now at 81, <laughs> Anne Ingle. Jesus, when will you ever yes, be? But it's very hard to um, make, you know, it's okay when you're 20 and you read a book like this because then you've got your whole life in front of you to take up all the things, good and bad, that she says. But when you're 81, you're looking at it and saying, 
oh, well, maybe I should have done that, but she's right, all right, but, you know, oh, it's a bit late mom, now. That's very that's painful. I mean. That's very sad, actually. I hadn't yeah, thought well, of, of it like that. Sad. Look, who didn't say that growing old wasn't sad? Because it is sad, like, you know, it, it is sad. I mean, there's things you can't do. And, like, for example, I can't lift my arm any higher than that right now, which is very, well, very sad. This is not on video. So you, when you say, <laughs> I can't lift my arm any higher than that, you're going to have to be a bit more descriptive because this is an audio medium. <laughs> Go on in anyways. This lady has written two books before we got to this untamed one. She started off, I believe, um, just with a kind of a blog about bringing up children. And it absolutely took off. And she got all these people following her. I mean, I think she might be, if we called her, a big, big time influencer. Yeah, she was a mommy blogger and it was called Momistry. And she was this Christian woman living this kind of Christian life with her family. And that was how she, I think she started writing the blog, she says in this book, because she was sending her friends these dispatches from her life and her friends weren't reading them. You kind of, did that? Did you relate to that moment? Remember you had your blog? I I can relate to that because at some points, well, I may, yeah, at some points in this book, she does get a bit preachy. And I, you know, uh, it is quite annoying. But um, the overall story of the book, of course, is the fact that she was a married woman with three lovely children, with a husband who deceived her um, on many occasions. And she was, the, the second book, she was saying how she came to terms with all that and sorted it all out and everything like that, I believe. I haven't read it. Her husband had been unfaithful to her, basically, had, had gone off with other women. That's what I said. You said he deceived her. But I mean, in which way did he deceive her? Jesus, it's only one way a man goes and deceives a woman. What do you mean? I don't know. I think there's many ways. is in the supermarket. People can deceive each other in many different ways, not just men either. But anyway. This is going to be very difficult. If you're going to keep interrupting me, Rosie. It's January 2021. We're not starting off very well, are we? No, we're not. But maybe your New Year's resolution should be to talk less or something. Anyway, look, are you going to let me go with it or not? Well, that will work on a podcast, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. Anyway, so um, the second book was about how her husband had deceived her with other women on several occasions and how she'd worked her way through that. I haven't read it, of course, but that that was the gist that I got from reading this one. But now this miracle thing happens. And the the terrible thing was she was on a book tour uh, telling everybody about this second book and you know given all these talks that she did but in the meantime she'd met this woman and miraculously oh I don't mean miraculously I'm not that's not quite the right word but wonderfully uh she she fell in love quite dramatically in fact you know um she saw the woman and and immediately there was a a feeling and she just went with it uh there's a I just have to give you a quote here which does give a flavour of her writing, but maybe it's a bit over the top. She says, I ask if I can hug her because what if this is my only chance? She smiled and opens her arms. Then the smell that would become home to me, skin like powder and fabric softener blended with the wool of her coat and her cologne and something that smelled like air, like outdoors, like crisp sky, like a baby and a woman and a man. And the whole world. That was her reaction when she met this wonderful um, ex-sports star uh, lady. And um, so then this book then tells us all about that story. But really, 
that's only incidental to the whole thing because all the wisdom that she's gathered in her 40-odd years um, is is recounted here. In And I believe she took advice from Elizabeth Gilbert, the Eat, Pray, Love woman, uh, as to how she would write the book because she was trying to do it in some kind of chronological way. And then she said, no, just put down your insights. And that's what she ha has done because in the book, there are or not exactly chapters, but there's, you know, just little things which are all listed, you know, such as, you know, sparks, apples, blowjobs, and other <laughs> things like that, which she um, she then, uh, ex you know, tells you about what she means and all these anecdotes. What, what a woman that she has so many people writing letters to her who um, come bring things to her attention that she has to then advise on. Yeah, well, I just, well, first of all, I just want to say Abby Wambach is the former uh, soccer player that she falls in love with. And this woman, uh, Glennon Doyle, has never had a same sex relationship before. She's had a, she had quite a, a childhood of quite uh, dysfunction and addiction and stuff like that. She came out of all of that. She married this guy, Craig. Um, he cheated on her multiple times. So she wrote the first book, Love Warrior, and that was all about her amazing family and her life and Christianity. Then she wrote Carry On Warrior, which was about the marriage sort of falling apart because of the cheating, but her deciding to stick with the marriage and stay there. But then, like you say, as she was doing that Carry On Warrior thing, she falls in love and realizes that this this sort of idealized thing that she has, or oh, look at me coming back to my marriage, even though it fell apart, um, was was a bit of a lie, was a bit of a sham. She she actually just there's a good line in it where she says that when her when her marriage sort of, when the cheating happened, it wasn't so much that she was devastated inside because of it. She was, it was like the plot of her life had kind of come unraveled. It was more like this arc that she'd been narrating with these books was kind of um, falling apart. So she, she wrote Carry On Warrior. And then this untamed book seems to be the truth, I suppose, that she'd been kind of living a little bit of a lie in the last two books. And now she was going to really, it all comes together in all her wisdom, as you say. I think the thing, Things, well, several things struck me about reading this book. Um, one, I think because we consume so much American culture, we consume so much TV and films and books, and we think we were, we are very much tuned into that culture and we know a lot about it. I had never heard of Glennon Doyle. And, but she's massive. And that was a revelation. So she, you know, she's got like a charitable foundation that she set up that's raised millions and millions and millions. She's always on the bestseller list. She's these huge, big meetings. She's kind of a guru. She's a self-help kind of guru. Um, so it was amazing to me that I didn't know her name. Um, then it sort of got me thinking about the whole idea of memoir and self-help books. And I think... I've been kind of puzzled about the growth of memoirs, really, especially most recently, where people are writing memoirs and you think, what? What now? Why? Uh, like, sorry, did, did you? When, when did I miss the point that you discovered the cure for COVID? You know, like, wh why are you writing a memoir? You're, you're not that fascinating. You haven't really done anything. So, uh, so I've been quite quite judgy about memoirs. But, no. now, I'm, but now I'm starting to think that actually... Memoirs are our self-help books that that people because self-help is kind of a dirty word. Nobody wants to say, oh, I'm reading a self-help book because we I don't think so. I don't think we have a big culture of self-help books here. Not really. And I think that 
but memoir, you're you're taking ideas from somebody, you're learning from somebody, you're looking at their experiences, if they're written well. And, you know, this this book is really written well. No, like there's no doubt. Um, and there's loads of nuggets in it, actually, that I, I found very interesting. I mean, you know, she's a desperate name dropper, you know, myself and Liz. And you're, you see, read it and read it. And then, as, as, as Anne said, it's Liz Gilbert. And, you know, and I was sitting around the uh, kitchen table in Oprah's house and she just get mentioned Maya Angelou. You know, so there's all that, OK? But that's OK. Um, because uh, that's OK, because obviously Glennon Doyle is huge. Um, but I think I got quite a lot out of this book, actually. And I thought um, it was very interesting her premise really is, is that she was basically a good girl, if you like. She was fulfilling all societal promises. She was just going, going straight, you know, straight, married, children, married, house. And then, and then she had to have a bit of a think about herself. And that bit of a think about herself happened when this bolt of lightning hit her. They must be quite the celebrity couple in the US, by the way. I mean, Abby Wambach is huge, you know. So anyway, um, so... I thought that was interesting that, you know, you don't have to stay on the path that seems preordained. And I think in in Irish culture, we have a very sort of uh, a lot of very safe paths that people feel they have to be on. I think, you know, you do this, like even, you know, even school, you know, you have to do the leaving cert. You have to go to college, you know, all that sort of thing. We're quite rigid actually now and we're getting more rigid, I think, in a funny way. Um. And and so on and, and and all that follows on from that. And she's saying, no, you know, just look, happily, she doesn't use the expression live your truth anyway in it because we don't want that. But uh, essentially, that's what she's saying. <laughs> essentially, that's what she's saying. She's saying, you know, and she, OK, she has a, uh, she does things like she puts knowing. It's all about knowing. And it's that's capital K, not capital N, capital K. <laughs> so and literally capital K. And um, so she's saying, basically, she became to know herself. And I mean, now, of course, you could just think, Jeannie Mac, I'll tell you, this woman, this is her third flipping memoir. She's 43 or four or five, you know. But and she has managed to, of the various phases in her life, like if you're her, her yeah, you 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 said the name of her blog, Roshi, Momastry. Momastry, yeah. Um. So you can imagine what that was like, a Christian mother's, you know, you can just imagine what it was like. And to able to emerge like a phoenix from the flames out of that one. Um, and she deals with faith, actually, in this book. And she deals with racism as a white woman, how she's trying to deal with that. Or how she's trying to understand racism and how racist she is and how racist white people are innately, in a sense. Um, so... So anyway, look, I found it significantly more interesting than I thought I would. Much, much more interesting, actually. And it isn't a traditional memoir and it isn't a traditional self-help book. It's in that liminal space in between. And I think that's probably that's probably a very contemporary way to to give information. Thanks for that, Bernice. And thanks for using one of my favourite words, liminal, which I never find any opportunity to use. <laughs> but anytime I hear someone using it, I'm always like, God, I wish I could say that in a sentence. So thanks for saying that. That's a lovely way to start off uh, 2021. Escape the ordinary with green and blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. Sponsor of the Irish Times Women's Podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. Neve. Towie, what did you think of the book? 
To be honest, I really didn't like it. Um, I had quite strong feelings on this one, actually. Um, I, just to say, first off, I really don't like these self-helping memoir type genre books. I'm way too cynical for them. Um, but this one was particularly bad. Um, <laughs> I felt it was like really what you'd call American, you know, the way she writes about everything in such an idealized fashion how she fell in love with Joanne, like from the other side of the room and then left her husband immediately for her, how how that was the turning point. Left her husband after meeting her, chatting to her outside the bathroom and then not seeing her at all and having left the husband for her in the meantime. It was just outrageous, like, and I just Leave, felt Leave. it was... Sorry, that was her knowing with a capital K. I can't believe her knowing, it. such a load of, like, that's really now what... How you didn't know in all the previous infidelities and feckin' memoirs you'd written about him previously, but then meeting one woman outside the bathroom, that was the knowing. I just felt like, I, I honestly... I, Abby, Abby Wambach does look very attractive looking. I mean, very, she's beautiful. Yeah, I very see attractive. how you can fall in love with a woman like that but just this like how that was the turning point for her to leave her marriage I felt was just outrageous um and just oh the way she writes about the 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 scene Anne read there um about seeing her and oh god I found that really difficult to read um (laughs) and I suppose apart from all that look you get around all of that I suppose I was expecting a bit of that um but I think my biggest issue with it was that it was called Untamed and I was expecting something that might bring me on a kind of a really truthful narrative arc, I suppose, um, something that was really honest and something that um, delved into all the pain in life in a really honest way and didn't just didn't land at neat endings, which I felt this book did, not just in terms of the stories she told, but in how she told them. So the book is called Untamed, right? So you're expecting something that doesn't follow... Um, it's not broken up into tiny, neat little chapters with little anecdotes that perfectly explain each moment in life and how to deal with it and how to come to a neat fashioned ending. This book, most of the chapters are like, you know, well, I don't know what you call them chapters, I suppose, but it's broken down into two or three pages of anecdotes, basically, um, and how she's dealt with these issues in life and come out the other side, you know, in three pages. That That's, that's not real life, I don't think. You know, she starts the book with this... Um, analogy about um this cheetah being caged um and she goes she's at the zoo and there and her daughter is asking why is the the cheetah caged and something I just felt it was all way too neat and perfectly packaged in order to deserve the name untamed I suppose that 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 threw me at first I I to compare to um a memoir by another American author, which I actually really enjoyed, um, Cheryl Strayed's uh, Wild. I loved that book because I felt it was really honest. It took me through every inch of the hurt and pain she experienced before she went on this journey of knowing, as um, Glennon likes to call it. And that I felt was real. I felt I, I, I was there beside her for everything. Whereas this, I feel like she's preaching to me on a high um, having come to the end of her journey. And also she references how she'd got it wrong in the previous two memoirs. Like, who needs three memoirs? But anyways, um, so I just didn't fully trust that this, how do I know that she, this is her truth or that this is the, the ending, the happy ending? Um, because she, 
None of us know that. She didn't know that before and she admits to it much. So why is she telling us that these are the answers? Neve, can I ask you, I think this is really fascinating because to be honest with you, I thought Bernice was going to hate this book so much. And I thought you as a sort of a younger person, as as Anne indicated at the beginning, kind of, you know, with all your whole life ahead of you and choices to make and that you were going to kind of get something from it. But what you seem to be saying and what I think Glennon Doyle would really be, um, not she wouldn't be devastated. She's a very, very rich woman who's raised lots of money for people. I'm sure she's Don't grand. mind me, Glennon. But you seem to be saying, you seem to be saying that she, that you feel it's inauthentic, that you don't buy it, that you think it's, um, it's not genuine, which I think she might be a bit appalled by. Tell me a bit more about that. Do you feel she's, she's make, not making it up, but you think it's like, packaged in a way that you think would sell loads of books and be on the New York Times bestseller list. You don't, you didn't get the thing that you got from Cheryl Strayed, which is the authenticity and the realness. Yeah, exactly. I really felt it lacked an authenticity. I, f- I tell you why I felt like that. It, when it came to parts about actually leaving the marriage, which was obviously a very difficult thing for her to do. She had ruminated on this for a long time and she spoke about all the difficult conversations she had with friends and stuff. And then it was this, you know, this really neat fell in love in one night and then decided that was the time to go. And, you know, there's this refrain throughout it. There she is. And she's referencing Abby. Um, I just felt like that was a bit too neat and unbelievable. Um, I wanted to be told more about the pain of actually breaking up. She glides over that and uh, about all the horrible things that must have happened in between um, you know, it, she says it took three weeks for her to tell Craig and for them to actually kind of separate um, and that she kind of glazes over. She says horrible things happened in between. I wanted to know about those horrible things. If you're going to write a memoir, if you're a memoirist, I know that's difficult to put your life out there and your husband's life um, and your all the horrible stuff that happens. But I needed to know that in order to know that um, in order to kind of feel like I was with her on this journey. Um it it just glazed over some of those painful parts too easily and came to what I felt were two neat of endings um at every at every obstacle. Um, you know, and I just I, I felt a little bit like I was being preached to like other in the way other self this is why I don't like self help books, is because it's always seems to be coming from somebody who has their shit together and knows and is better than you and um you know, has been through it all and is going to tell you how to do it. Whereas the the memoir self-help genre, which Bernice referenced, which I think Cheryl Strayed fits really well into, is much more kind of acknowledging of the fact that I don't have this sorted out either. Um, but here's my story, if you can take anything from it. And I actually felt like Glennon's book fell into the first category more than it did the second, um, which is a shame because I think she has like an incredibly interesting story to tell. I just wish she could have told it in a way that wasn't so that didn't that didn't feel the need to be so complete in one book. Like it didn't need to. She didn't need to answer all those questions in each chapter. Did you feel, Neve, you learned anything from it? Like, was there anything you went, all oh, right, OK? Yes, actually, I felt she was really good on motherhood and the need to separate yourself from your children you know, she talks about how martyrdom in motherhood serves neither the mother nor the child. And I really enjoyed those parts of the book, actually. She does that really, really well. Um, you know, she talks through how she was the ideal mom. She protected them from everything. 
Um, she always told them everything's going to be okay. I'm never going to leave you. Everything is, you know, she wrapped them up in cotton wool like all mothers want to do. And um, she lost herself in motherhood, uh, which I thought was really, she really wrote honestly about motherhood. That that I could get on board with. I really enjoyed that part, of those sections of the book where she talks about that. Neve, can I just, can I put a word in for Glennon Doyle here? Because I think it's a really interesting, your your reaction to her. I mean, you see, maybe because she's written the two other books where she had been teasing out everything, where she had realised the parts of her life that were suddenly she'd had this. It's like a I mean, I wouldn't say I won't use the word enlightenment, but something happened like a light bulb moment that seemed to really shatter every sort of truth that she had about herself. And and something quite profound, I think, happened for whatever reason. Uh, when she met that woman, Abby. Right. And it had had this ripple effect in all of her life to make her, as Bernice said, question and reevaluate all the truths she held about herself or that society had held about her. And in a way, the reason the book, I think, the thing that you're reacting to, oh, I've got it all sorted now and this is the truth, is because in her, it, the honest truth about Glennon Doyle's life now is that she does feel she has figured out something very true and she maybe is at the end of a sort of not that the journey doesn't continue and I'm and maybe she'll break up with Abby, Abby Wambuck or maybe she'll write another memoir you're right who knows if it's neat and ending like that but for her at this time writing this book it seems to have felt like all these strings coming together and tying up into some kind of truth that she really desperately feels like if she shares with the world, it might help people. And I think that's what, for example, Adele is is reacting to. And interestingly, I don't know if it's anything to do with Glennon Doyle writing this book, but we know that Adele's marriage broke up, that she's living quite a, you know, a, living a life that she feels more is true to herself. She seems really happy uh, in a way she hasn't been before. So I, I imagine that this book, where while it didn't speak to you, I think people's lives have been changed in a way by this book. People have done things in their lives that they were too afraid to do because of society, that they've gone out in the world and gone, no, I can do this. This feels right for me. So I just wanted to say that because, but I can see totally what you're saying and I can totally understand your perspective of it. So I'm really interested now, Mother Anne, to go to you. I can hear what Neve is saying. I kind of bit on my high horse about the preachiness of it, you know, who is this woman to tell me all these things? Like, you know, I am a mature lady. Surely I know everything that needs to be known right now. Uh, so I, I did kind of feel that at first. Um, also, the privilege, and we are all privileged. We all know that. But some of us are more privileged than others, in my opinion. And this lady is, you know, eating out, looking out at the, the ocean and having tea on the balcony. And, and I looked at her on the actual internet. And my God, she is gorgeous. She had this golden suit oh she looked amazing and I didn't really expect that because I thought we kind of got rid of all that stuff that didn't really matter anymore but so I was a bit disillusioned when I saw that I'm, I'm afraid I mean not that anybody I mean we're all allowed to do whatever we like and wear whatever we like having said all that but same time it did put me down a bit like you know um uh she she does give some insights but some of them are a bit you know like in, in one part she talks about her son Craig using the uh, mobile phone an awful lot. And she says quite simply that she sits him down and tells him that, you know, he's losing his creativity by listening to doing all these games and playing with this thing. And so he stopped using it. Yeah, <laughs> give me a break. I don't know about <laughs> you, Bernice, or Roshi, whether you get that, find it so easy to do that. But then again, she is truthful. And that's one thing you said to me, but she's very honest. 
you know, at one stage, she, her new partner is watching telly in the middle of the day when she comes in. And she obviously, the partner obviously t- turns off the television very quickly. And then Doyle realizes, oh, my goodness, this is what she's doing because of me. And this is what I have always done in my home. And I've hidden the fact that I want to watch the, the, the stupid television in the afternoon. And so then she embraces that herself and starts to watch television whenever she wants it. Of course, she still is a highly motivated woman and very busy all the time, but uh, she does uh, do that concession. So the, she does recognize her, her own shortcomings, which is which is great. But the, we, the, the way that she has of um, getting people to tell her stories is another thing. She has these millions and millions of letters, which she reads you know, uh, diligently, and her sister Amanda is a great help to her in this. But people seem to just come to her with their problems. And I suppose with her, she regurgitates their problems, solves them, and, and puts them out in the book. And so, you know, as she, as she quotes Maya Angelou a lot, one of the quotes especially is, when you know better, you do better. So this is Glenn Doyle's attempt to make us know better. And oh, fair play to her. As, as Bernice says, she's written it really very well. I mean, you really can't stop listening to it. And uh, one of the disadvantages of listening to it was I imagine that people who were reading it would have had a highlighter pen and, and scrawled different bits to go back to because it's that kind of thing. It does, There are kind of little light bulb moments that happen in it that you say, oh, God, she's, she's right there, you know, and maybe I could think about that. So I would recommend that if you do get this book, Untamed, that you have a little... Uh, pen by your side to make those kind of notes. And could I ask you, on uh, the one you were listening to, did she read it? Was it her that was reading it? Uh, yes, it was her. Okay. Uh, and she wasn't too bad. At, oh, she was actually very good. She wasn't, you know, sound as if she was... She, because she does admit to her own mistakes. That's the thing you have to remember. And you know, really, she does say that she's done all these things wrong, and that's how she knows how to do the right kind of thing, you know. But the American thing was a bit much, and the religion was a bit much for me too. That 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 was a downside because I I don't I I know Bernice says we we know what it's like in America, but we don't really you know we're not living the the way that they live, and so that was a bit of a down. And the the religion constantly, of course, she's a re, she was an addict, and therefore she's got better over all the different things. And I know God helps people to do that. I mean, that's you know it's part of the whole process. So I I mean she's entitled to that, but doesn't sit very well with me. But um, the, the one line that really sums up the whole thing, um, she said, when a woman finally learns that pleasing the world is impossible, she becomes free to learn how to please herself. She's free. She's untamed. She can do what she like. You don't have to please everybody. In fact, you can't please everybody. Bernice, do you think you would... Uh tell people to read this book. I love what you said earlier about the fact that you'd never heard of her. And I hadn't either. The way I heard about this book and wanted us to read it was because I was getting my makeup done back in the days when you could get your makeup done. And the one we were talking about weddings because the woman was doing a lot of wedding makeup. And I was talk, asking her had the sort of idea of weddings changed in terms of what people wore. And she was saying, yes, yeah, she was seeing more people doing their own thing. And then she started to talk about this book and she said it had, had a profound impact on her and made her question a lot of things um, that she had considered to be, you know, like, truths. And that's what, just what you did. And I think that um, I think 
um, maybe Neven away your property further along or something. You already kind of have that sense. You don't need to be told it. But I think there's a lot of people who maybe do need to hear it or didn't things didn't occur to them. I think Adele might be one of those people in a way. So I'm just wondering, Bernice, what you think of that aspect. Can you see how it's maybe had a profound impact on some people? Yeah, I yeah, I can. I mean, I, probably maybe not here. Maybe I can. I think if you look at her arc, you know, from this rigid Christian mom, you know, to to where she is now, that's an amazing breakout story. I mean, that's extraordinary, really. You know, if I if I think of my own friends or my own friend group or my own colleagues, you know. I, I'm not sure they they feel as trammeled or as, you know, bound up in conventions as she as she clearly felt. And that this breaking out of those conventions was such a revelation. You know, I'm not so sure that that I come across that so much. What did you think? Because one interesting aspect of the book is when she talks about uh, sort of falling in love with Abby, love at first sight or whatever. And and then she talks about um, the kind of heteronormative or what we what we understand about relationships and that she talks about not exactly deciding to fall in love with a woman, but that it wasn't, you know, some people say you're born this way about uh, homosexuality or, you know, I love you no matter what is one thing that some people say yes. about people who, and as if it's some, somehow disappointing. And she makes a very good case for, uh, you know, deciding who to fall in love with. It does beyond gender, you know, that it doesn't yeah. have to be this thing of, you're born in this in this sexuality that it can be a choice. It could be controversial that um, idea, but what did you think of the way she described it? I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. I, I mean, I, I I'm with Neve. I mean, that uh, in that the way she, she she dispatches her meeting with Abby in a sort of a very brief chapter, and it is that literally thing. They were both at a book event. Abby was promoting her book, major celebrity. She was promoting her book. Uh, Glennon was promoting her book. They they saw each other across a crowded room and across a crowded, then across a crowded dinner table. And bam, you know, then they start communicating by, by email or whatever. And, you know, she's leaving her husband and it's what? And they haven't even, you know, she, she had, as she says herself, I'd never even kissed a girl, you know, like... So uh, that's kind of hard to get your head. Look, even if it was, no matter who walked in the door, I, it's got nothing to do with the gender. It's nothing to do with the gender. The fact that she she threw her whole life in the air, the whole life that she'd lived very publicly in the air so quickly. So that's kind of interesting. And that's not really fully explained how that happened. Not really. It's explained in kind of rom-com kind of terminology I thought and maybe that's what Neve found kind of so unsatisfying um, it, it was very sweet and rom-com-ish and then they you know as soon as they met in that hotel room then a few months later well that was that and you think oh mm. okay right hmm. I suppose I mean more as well you know it's a good point but uh, you know the way she, she she talks about all the different ways she was told how to be a good girl and what to do and yeah. as you said earlier Bernice she lived that life she yeah. did all the have the children have the football and what she's saying is um, that well, it, that she kind of then, you know, that, that that's a lie that we're sold, that you can kind of actually just do whatever you want. You can make up your own life. You can create the life that feels right for you without any of the sort of um, obligations that society puts on you. I totally. suppose that's what I was yeah, getting and, at earlier. Yeah, I mean, she, she says towards the end of the book that um, she got pregnant and then she got married. And so she when she was pregnant, herself and Craig decided to get married that and that's 18 years ago and they decided to get married and she says you know towards the end of the book when she's with Abby they're divorced everything she says 
she she thought at the time it would have been better if they hadn't got married and they just brought up their child together separately, you know. Um, but she was too fearful of that. She just thought, let's, I'll just go the the, the sort of, the usual path, the ordinary path, the paths that expected of me as a, of an as you know, nice Midwestern girl or wherever she was from. You know, this is this is what's expected, and I suppose that is a real theme of the book. You know, there is so much expected expected of women, particularly, and she talks a lot about that with her daughter. Uh, she doesn't see that in her daughter. Actually, her daughter's a teenager, and her daughter doesn't seem to be conforming to that, and she's very happy with that. But that for women in their forties, maybe, and especially in conservative parts of America. Um, she she felt she had to go along with this on a certain road without thinking too much about herself, really, and about what she wanted or what she felt or what was right for her, and that that's what this book is really an explanation. And I, look, as a January read, I think it ticks a lot of boxes because what it, fundamentally it says is change can happen, change change can happen, and change will happen if you let it happen. Change can happen. Hmm. Um, Neve, has anything anybody else has said in support sort of changed your view? Are you still? Is this? I clearly think this isn't something you're going to be pressing into your fellow twenty-something uh, friends. No, I think fans. though, I don't think it's written for people my age, um, and maybe not intentionally. But uh, that feeling of being restrained and living in a conservative world and not being able to live your true self. It's not, thankfully, really all that relevant to people my age. And that's a fantastic thing. Um, I never would have felt the need to conform to ideals like that, you know, not certainly not maybe as strongly as she did. Um, and it wouldn't have been such a revelation for me or my friends to have a girlfriend or, you know, all of those things were much easier for people my age, I think, Um not to say that I'm I'm sure it still is difficult for lots of people, but I, I certainly I felt I didn't grow up in the world that she grew up in and had to rebel against then at a later point. You know, Neve, that's really, really interesting. And I think for my mum, for example, you know, at 81, uh, reading that book, looking back and thinking, oh, what would have happened if I'd have lived my life back when, and my mum can relate to it even more than Glennon Doyle. Glenn, my mum's life was constrained in, in ways that we can't, you know, we can't thankfully even imagine now. I suppose for me and Bernice and more in the middle age sort of bracket, we had our own constraints too, so we can relate to a lot more. But I love what you're saying there. That makes me really happy that this book didn't speak to you, actually. That, you know, there is, there's a whole generation, hopefully, of, of young women coming up that don't need to t- hear these things because they, they're already living them. And I love that. Yeah, I hope I hope that's true as well. That's certainly how I feel. Um, I did feel, though, that the sections around motherhood are very still very relevant. I think that's an issue we haven't in any way solved is the pressure on mothers. In fact, I think it's been ramped up maybe in part by mommy bloggers like Glennon Doyle, who live this ideal life. Um, But she does say that I think she does. She does take a little bit of a pot shot at herself as she was wanging on about this ideal life she was living as this mom, this Christian mom with these three kids and this house and this husband. You know, I think she does from from the vantage point where she is now, she has taken a shot at that. It's not repentive for that, though, Bernice. It's, no, um, no. It's still it's very preachy and it's this is just another handbook on how to do things as opposed to and here's here's what I got wrong sort of thing not that I'm not not I wasn't looking for apologies but 
to, and an, an acknowledgement that um, maybe a handbook is not what anybody needs. Maybe all we need is what's in here, what she calls knowing. Um, so if you were to look into your crystal ball, uh, Neve, there now, and you were to think, um, uh, she's written three memoirs, fair dues. Uh, what was, what's going to be her fourth? Like, what, what oh, do you Christ. feel is the, next, is the next stop on this Glennon Doyle juggernaut of fame? I know, well, exactly. Maybe she goes back to the husband. I don't know. It's like, I, I, I won't be reading it anyways, whatever it is, <laughs> if there is a fourth one. I tell you that much. I, um, like, yeah, that that's another thing that grates me too, is multiple memoirs. Like, I mean, how you... That's not the point of them, is it? <laughs> You're supposed to wait and see how things go and then write one. Like, um. <laughs> um, Just on the motherhood thing, Neve, because I really agree with you. And actually the things that where I turned down the pages because she has yeah. teenage daughters and, and uh, a lot of it I was thinking, OK, I'll rem- I want to remember that for future reference. I'll just read one bit. She she talks about how, especially when the the marriage broke up, it really devastated her daughter, Tish and who who found it very hard to take and she says that every night she would tell her you're never going to lose me you know because she her she was the kid was afraid that she was going to lose her mother and she said you're never going to lose me baby that's what she'd say at the end of every night and then she says this means that the last thing i say to my daughter every single night is a bold-faced lie um in this life of unknowables there is one thing i know for sure and that is that one day my girl is going to lose me i used to lie to tish all the time i used to promise her things that would temporarily dazzle her placate her protect her yes i'm certain heaven is real yes i believe in santa no your parents will never ever get divorced yes life is fair and there are good guys and bad guys mommy knows best everything happens for a reason you are safe honey i will keep you safe that was back when I thought my job was to keep Tish safe instead of allowing her to become brave. Back when I thought I should make Tish's life easy instead of allowing her to learn that she can handle life's hard bits. Back when I thought there was more magic in what was pretend than what was real. Back when I believed a mother was supposed to be her daughter's hero instead of allowing her daughter to become her own hero. And for me, I agree with you. Those are some of the most powerful bits in the book and they definitely... I I find them helpful and I know I will find them helpful for a long time. And something I immediately looking at my kids and the way that I, you know, I, I do a bit of that, but I don't do enough. And I, I it, it inspires me to to talk to them more in that way, not as a kind of a harsh realities of life, but, but to help them to deal and to navigate through the world, because we all know what the world is like, you know. Anne, have you got anything else to say? We were asking everyone, would you pass it on to people? Would you would you um share this book around? Well, look, I think it is a great book. Do you know, as much as I don't want to say that, for lots of the reasons you've already said, Bernice has said, you know, who who is she? Whatever. But she is. She's somebody very big and very important. And in fact, I would buy probably six of these books to give to members of my family because there's something in there for everybody. A lot of it, you know, we already know. I'm 81. I know it. I've seen this. I've been there. I've done that. But at the same time, there's insights there that can be very helpful to a lot of people. So do you know what? Um, an early uh, January present to start the year off for everybody. I'm saying six because you already got one, Roisin. And there's another member of my family who wouldn't be appropriate for, but I've got eight children. So six of them anyway, I'm going to give give the, the book to. That, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's because I think it's important. I do think it's important. And I, 
I do have, I do admire this woman, Glennon, even though I'm mad jealous that she sits with Oprah and Liz and all that, but same time, I'll be over that. Neve, I know you won't be giving it to, to anyone, but maybe, Neve, you might think about people um, more in our age brackets or that, that might get something out of it. Just one last thing to say on it, Roisin, is that, you know, you, you spoke about how she speaks to her children and stuff about not protect, um, being overprotective and how she sees the fallacy in that. Um, I think it was also really strong on um, leading by example and by saying, you know, in order for me to have happy kids, my kids have to see a happy mom. And a happy mom isn't the one who just does everything that is box perfect to keep them happy, like staying with dad or doing things, you know, to not break their hearts, which obviously breaking up with her husband broke their hearts. But um, I felt it really spoke to the empowerment of women and mothers especially um, too. And I think I, I, de- I spoke before about how I don't think people my age are constrained by societal norms in the same way that maybe uh, people of your generation were. But I think definitely mothers now still feel that pressure to conform and to um, give themselves up to their children and to motherhood. Um, and I felt like this book was really powerful around the need not to do that. And I, I saw reflections of that in my own mother um, and it's something I really admire about my mom is that she does things to keep herself happy. And she gave herself up to motherhood for a while and probably lost herself in it a small bit and has now reclaimed so much and has this like, you know, great career, went back to college and uh, talks about her career all of the time and work and colleagues. And she's like a boss mom now, like, and I love that about her. And I, I want to be like her. And I'm glad that she's not just at home with the dinner waiting for me on the table on a Friday evening. You know, that's not the, not to take away from the mothers who do have, who have chosen that. But I think I really got more from that, um, from seeing that in my own mum. So. I really relate to that actually, Neve, because I think mum, you were like that. I always remember you rushing around doing all sorts of different things, having a life, even though you'd eight kids, having very much a, a purpose and a life beyond our house. And it was very inspiring and something that, as a role model really uh, was great for me because you got to see that that's not everything. And I certainly lived my own life like that, as you know, mother, um, I'm out and about when, when, we, when I could be out and about. Moderation in all things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this uh, pandemic has certainly moderated me, I'll tell you that much. Denise, final word from you. You'll be sharing the book, I imagine. Um, I would feel funny about giving sort of a self-helpy type book to somebody. I really would. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think I'd give a book like this to somebody. No, I might sort of say it's a good book and I've read it and I found it interesting and there was some interesting things in it. But I I think that's sort of unwanted. You know, that falls into the category of something God knows I'm guilty of. And that is unwanted <laughs> advice. And I, I feel and I'm trying not to do that uh, anymore. So I just feel it does fall slightly into the category of unwanted advice. So I wouldn't be giving it, but I might say, God, you know, that's good book. That book's good. And I, I or you might say, actually, on something, you know, if you were talking to a friend about a certain area, you'd say, actually, there was something really good in that book that might pique the person's interest. But I think mother can get away with giving six or seven 100%. copies around because she's 81. You can do anything when you're Absolutely. 81. I think. But can I just say one more thing? Uh, you know, this is kind of idealized because. You know, um, it's all very well us sitting here with our privilege, not as great as hers, but we've got privilege. But there are some people, you know, living up the flats in the down the road who 
got six or seven kids, even, even this day and age, and a husband who's not doing the right thing, you know, this book mean nothing. You know what I mean? Let's get it in perspective. We're all we're all here, you know, doing okay. But uh, really and truly, if I would know a dream of, of giving that book or even mentioning that book to anybody who is in dire circumstances. Yeah. There's a touch of the lean-ins about it, isn't there? There's a touch of the Sheryl Sandbergs, you know, if you, can, if you can afford to have, like, nannies and you've got a husband who's very hands-on. And, and, and the thing is, I suppose a, a lot, some of us are in those positions, so we do, we do hand-listen to that voice, but you're right. I mean, anybody who's actually struggling in a real way financially or, you know, in terms of domestic violence or, or all the issues that we know people struggle with, it's not going to be... I don't think a transformative book because you need to be in a certain place first in order to hear the things, to have the luxury of being able to take on this advice. And I think it's a really important point to end with. But I think we've had a good discussion about it. And uh, it's, it is certainly a book that, I, as I said, I only came across because the woman was doing my, my makeup. And it was just the profound effect that it had, had on her. I thought that's interesting. And I think in America, it's been in the New York Times bestseller list for, I think, 30 odd weeks. So it is striking a massive chord there and thank you very much all of you for this excellent early January our first of 2021 I think it's been a bit of a humdinger so thanks as always Anne Ingle Bernice Harrison and Neve Terry and I just want to wish you a very happy new year it's my first chance to do that and same to you Roisin Thanks very much to our book clubbers, Anne Ingle, Bernice Harrison and Neve Towery. They're going to be back again with us in another month or so. But that's it for this episode. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. You can get in touch with us about anything at all on the women's podcast at irishtimes.com or on social at IT Women's Podcast. Um, well, mind yourselves until the next time when I'll talk to you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.